0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So nice to be at work today. Get me away from my home fix-it projects. So I swapped out a couple of light switches. How hard can that be, right? You just pop off the old one and put on the new one. So I was able to get it done. You know, it wasn't that hard. Say, does anybody know how to get blood off drywall? I'm going to have to do that when I get home, too. That was dangerous. I was cutting myself up, and but I got my light switches in, so <laughs> should be good. All right, I have the Book of Isaiah open, uh, chapter thirty-three, verse twenty-two says, "For the Lord is our judge; the Lord is our lawgiver; the Lord is our King. It is He who will save us." I love that. I've got uh, Dr. Alex McFarlane as my guest, and then uh, George Barnes is going to be joining me in this hour. So I can't wait, and Alex is already on our studio line. He's got a new book out called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. I've got an advanced copy, and I feel pretty special. Alex, welcome to the show.
1: Well, it's good to be with you, Bill. And, uh, hey, wow, that kind of uh, is a little unnerving, how to get blood off of drywall. <laughs> so I gotta, you're, you're okay, I hope. I'm fine, it,
0: but my hands are all chewed up, and I realize I was bleeding at a couple of points. I mean, it's, it was— man. Yeah, I don't, I don't do fix-it stuff. I should never even try. Well, b- be safe. Uh, the world needs you, Bill Arnold. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that.
1: Well, congratulations on your new book. This must be in the 21-22 range? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to recount. It's yeah. get, getting on up there. But um, this is the fastest we've ever done a book, 45 days. And, uh, you know, this is the first, true, seriously, the first show, the first media announcement about this book. Uh, we got the manuscript finalized last Friday. They did a copy, edit. Typesetting, pagination, wow. laid it out. I just saw it yesterday. So the the PDF file that I sent you is just right at twenty four hours old. Wow. So we're, I guess we're saying this is a Faith Radio Bill Arnold show exclusive. Fantastic! I love but, that. But um, the subtitle really says it all. You know, the the title is "Assault on America" and then "What We Must Do to Save the Country," and it's evangelistic. I mean, we talk about how to know Christ and it's not a political book per se but because so many of the things that really threaten our freedoms including religious freedoms right now have political implications yeah we do we have to talk about some politics in there but it's um it's uh, a book about revival really bill
0: yeah i love chapter 1 it says has america reached its expiration date
1: yeah, you know, that's a good question. John Adams said that our Constitution is made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we continue to be a nation without objective morality, uh, it may be that we're reaching our expiration date. And uh, hey, by the way, I wanted to tell you this. Uh, Will Graham, who is the grandson of Dr. Billy Graham, And the son of Franklin Graham, a friend and a colleague of many years, Will is, among other things, he's the executive director of the Cove Training Center, the Billy Graham Training Center, and he's the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And Will is an amazing man of God. Will is writing the foreword for it. And he and I were emailing this morning. And so um, the PDF doesn't show this, but there's a very inspirational foreword from Will Graham that will be in the front of this book.
0: Well That's really nice, really a compliment, um, and what a nice endorsement. So I'm glad you shared that with, with me because I'm going to be digging into the book this weekend. But let's talk a little bit uh, just more about, uh, if I can, this this America at the risk of extinction.
1: Yeah, well, you, you know very famously when um, they met in Philadelphia and spent several weeks and ultimately drafted the U.S. Constitution. And the story is in 1787 that they were coming out of um, what later would be called Constitution Hall. And somebody asked Benjamin Franklin, the oldest member at the Constitutional Convention. And and by the way, Franklin was the one that called the room to prayer. They had spent a couple of weeks, and they were really at an impasse and not making a lot of progress. And uh, Benjamin Franklin kind of said, hey, hey, time out, time out, look. If we know that a sparrow can't fall to the ground without God's knowledge, how can a nation rise up without uh, the help of providence? And the founders would use words like divine interposition, which they meant, you know, the help of God, you know, the providence of God. And Franklin said, you know, let's stop these proceedings and let's pray. So they spent the next week praying like all day. And in fact, it's very interesting. Benjamin Franklin said, hey, um, you know, if you can get get on your knees and pray. And they heard ministers Monday through Friday for five days. They brought in preachers to preach. They reconvened and they wrote the longest standing constitution of any nation in history. But when they were leaving, um, a lady came up and said to Franklin, sirs, what kind of government have you given us? And Franklin said, famously and i know uh, many of your listeners know where this quote is going but franklin when th- they asked you know what kind of government do we have he said a republic if you can keep it a republic if you can keep it and so the question is be- because the representatives just like elders in a church it's been noted by many that america had a a presbyterian form of government and really Our elected officials, our congressmen and senators, are really in a way functioning like the elders in a New Testament church. But the representatives are to go to Washington and lead with a couple of things in mind, well, primarily the Constitution, but they're to lead with their constituents' voice in mind and also in good faith what is in the best interest of the people. So build to the question are we reaching our expiration date Um, very likely if we don't have a return not only to morality and god but the leadership of a of a representative principled republic not just special interests not just political correctness not um you know uh, Activists funded by George Soros and foreign money. No, a principled, just, representative republic, honestly operating in truth and good faith and within the parameters of the Constitution. It worked for two centuries, and in the last decade plus, we've deviated from it, and we're, we're treading water fast.
0: Mm-hmm. A line here from your new book, which is not out yet, but it says, but God, family, personal accountability, sexual abstinence until marriage, self-restraint, patriotism, absolute morality. These are all things that the left incites each new generation to fight against.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and Bill, I want to be clear. Look, I'm not trying to demonize anybody or personally attack in anybody, but... I I don't know if it's ignorance or malice or just anger about life, but yeah, um, Hollywood celebrities, Mm -hmm. um, media figureheads, secular education, certainly secular higher education. And I'll give you a case in point, had breakfast Tuesday morning with a department head at a state university. I won't say who I won't say where, but you know what he said to me? He said last week, so it would have been like exactly a week ago, Uh, the academic dean had all the faculty at the State University, and they are having freshmen come in, and he said, he he rubbed his hands together like, you know, yay. He said, fresh meat coming in, Mm. these freshmen. And the dean said to the faculty at the State University just days ago, he said, part of our job is to deconstruct the Victorian ideas that mom and dad have put in the kids' heads for 18 years. And I'm not bashing education, but believe me, I understand. Look, I've spoken or debated at more than 200 universities. Look, part of secular education in America is this militancy against God, morality, absolute truth, certainly kind of a loathing of America. And Ben Shapiro you, you might have had him on the show, I don't know, Bill, but Ben Shapiro was right. I interviewed Ben Shapiro 15 years ago, and Ben Shapiro then, he was very young, but I had him on the radio 15 years ago. He said, college is a four-year attack on America and God. Mm. And so to the original question, are we reaching our expiration date? When you've got influential forces, elected officials, college professors, public educators, school board members, mayors, leaders of municipalities, celebrities, talking heads in the media, um news organizations that are constantly demeaning the United States, bashing the founders, you know, poisoning the well when it comes to our view of church and marriage and family and fidelity and truth. It, it it's no wonder that we're unraveling as a country because everything that was key To the survival of the country, is really under attack. So
0: true, Alex. Boy, this is uh, fascinating. Again, your uh, book. When is it going to be available?
1: It'll it'll be available September the first. The the YouTube. Um, uh, YouTube. The (laughs) Amazon pre order page went up today. Oh, fantastic! And uh, it's published by Harrison House Publishers of Pennsylvania. Uh, My name is Alex McFarland. The book is titled "Under Under Attack." No, I'm sorry. Assault on America. Assault on America, the things we must do to save our nation. And the Amazon pre-order page is up as of about 9 o'clock this morning. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Let me take a short break. I'd love to hear more about the book. There are so many chapters that look so fascinating. I want to hear about Guard the Road that Leads to Destruction and Expose the Untruth of the Culture Wars. Those are a couple of subjects I want you to touch on when we return. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We'll be right back. I am with Alex McFarlane. We're talking about his new book coming out 9-1, September 1st. It's called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And Alex, I hope you don't mind if I jump around a little bit because your your chapter titles are so intriguing and I'd love to hear... What guard the road that leads to destruction? Give me a little preview on that.
1: Well, yeah, we need to uh, not go down it. You exactly. Know, p- put put a put a, a roadblock in front of it. You know, if um, if there was a bridge out or something like that, we would be, um, you know, morally responsible to dissuade people from going down that road. And uh, you know, part of the, I, what I talk about in that um, chapter is how you know. The the Democrat Party, Michael uh, Blackman wrote in The Wall Street Journal, and he was the campaign manager for Robert F. Kennedy back in 1968. And um, uh, a Jewish attorney and law professor, uh, Michael Blackman, talked about how he he simply couldn't be a Democrat today because, you know, RFK and he and their colleagues in the late 60s, they they were, you know, Liberal Democrats, at least socially liberal, but yet they believed in God. They believed in morals. They believed in truth. And uh, what what's interesting is that the the Democrats of say the '70s through the '80s would almost be uh, the Republicans of today. Okay, Ted Kennedy. Um, Ted Kennedy spoke at Liberty University in around 1986. And I had always heard very famously that, you know, uh, Jerry Falwell Sr., who was the founder of Liberty, had Ted Kennedy because they were on some news program. And Kennedy said, you know, if you're, if you're as open as you say, Dr. Falwell, let me come speak at Liberty. And so Jerry Falwell had him speak at Liberty. So, you know, um, Bill, for those that may not know, w- wouldn't it be fair to say back in the 80s and 90s, ted kennedy would have been considered an arch liberal back then yeah i would think so so i watched the video it's on youtube of when ted kennedy spoke at liberty university and you know for its day that was really the convergence of the twain i mean you've got dr falwell christian conservative ted kennedy democrat leader but ted kennedy begins his speech and he says um, you know america was founded as a christian nation You know, we were founded on God, and while he says something like, you know, Dr. Falwell and I would um, disagree on so many things, but we both agree we should give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, and, you know, uh, we were founded on godly principles, even if we might disagree on how to act on those principles. Well, no liberal progressive would say that now oh my goodness the people the the elected officials and listen all your listeners I'm sure know who they are the squad and 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 the Speaker of the House that are trying to force us down a road of militant secularism, moral relativism, economic marxism none of the none of the liberal leaders today would dare acknowledge that we were founded as a christian nation and and so Bill, I don't know if you saw this, and I talk about this in the book, and this is why we've got to, we've really got to take personal ownership for prayer and the saving of the nation. I just saw an article uh, in the writing of this book where some uh, educational consultants are saying that we need to, listen, have a statute of limitations on how how far back we go in teaching history. Wow. In other words, you know. Pretty much anything pre-1960 is just not relevant. So, you know, forget Jefferson and Washington and Franklin and John Adams and Valley Forge and forget the spiritual and philosophical foundations of the Constitution. And let's forget the Reformation in Europe and Christianity giving us the modern world. And let's forget Western Civ. And we really don't need, you know, uh, uh, Augustine and we certainly don't need Aristotle and the Greeks because, you know, anything that Europeans or, you know, Caucasians have ever done is detrimental. And, you know, think about it. If, if we only go back, say, 55, 60 years in our teaching of history, and then five years from now, we only teach, say, 1965 and forward, and then 1970 and forward, th- there are quickly, quickly coming up generations that don't know God or country and that that makes it all the more easy for the revisionists and the revolutionaries to change and as Christianity Today said years ago said America I mean this was this was literally 30 years ago but David Neff one of the editors of Christianity Today warned and the wording is very poignant all that is america is about to become a faint and mocking memory wow
0: that is so sobering
1: so i wrote the book to try to say hey look uh we got we got to save the irreplaceable mm-hmm. in, in the very first may, may i share this i'll be so quick and i don't know take your time prattle on no, But I, I, I was really praying about this book and and again the book is is you know called the assault on america and and it's things that we must do to save the country before it's too late. But I was writing this, this was just you know two weeks ago, so from from the idea to the book is just forty five days, never done a book so rapidly. But Bill, I've been at, you know, youth group meetings and parties and dinners and maybe as an icebreaker the crowd would play this game. What if? And I somebody asked the question a couple of years ago, we were at a gathering. Somebody said, What if your house were on fire and you could, you know, run out, but only grab one thing, what would it be? And I've heard people say, well, they would grab the family photo album, or they might grab their Bible, or maybe their. it always moved me when they would say, well, I would grab my marriage certificate. I think that's really great. So why wouldn't you grab, you know, the flat screen TV? Because that probably costs more than a bunch of old photos. Hmm. Or, you know, it's because, look, you can get a flat screen TV, but some things in life are irreplaceable. The, the pictures of our children growing up, you know, the, the, the one photo we've got of our grandparents. We could never get another one. So when the chips are down and the house is on fire, you've got to fight for that thing that cannot be replaced. And here in America, I would say in the annals of world history, what we have had freedom prosperity liberty stability the the chance if you're willing to work hard say your prayers live right live within your means you can become anything you want i mean people in america they're not in a caste system and if you want to go back to school at age 60 and finish your college degree you can do it you might have to work yourself to the bone but you can do it i mean if you want to You know, I I could tell you, Bill, man, I'll be the first to tell you, the good Lord has opened so many doors for me. But, you know, 25 years ago, um, I had $58 in the shirt on my back, literally. Now, now, I know most of your listeners are not from the South, but, okay, there's poor, and then there's chicken farmer poor. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're about to lose a country that, look, if, if Christ hasn't returned, it'll take a thousand years before anything like this might dare to come along again, and I think we've got a little window of time to pray, to evangelize, to say, God, use me, and let's, let's try to see a move of Christ in our lifetime and see our nation redeemed. Wow.
0: Alex, this is really, really good. Um, and we only have a couple minutes left. I was going to ask you to go into another chapter, but I'm not sure how much time we, we have left. If We can do that or not. But in your, um, at the end of your book, you you do have a couple of, uh, uh, how to begin a relationship with God. What a, what a great thing to be adding into a book.
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, that ultimately is, that's that's the key. And as much as we want to see um, the building up of the United States of America, we want to see the populating of the kingdom of heaven. And, and, you know, one thing young people need to know is there is hope and there is more than just this life. Um, the leading cause of de- death of people under 25, I've read, is suicide. And Bill, I mean, my heart breaks because, you know, for all of the struggles and the hard things and I look, we've got everything from covid to unemployment. I understand it. But life is still a gift. Mm-hmm. And and just in case any of your listeners are maybe feeling despondent or, or hopeless, don't give up hope. For one thing, Jesus is as close by as a prayer call out to him. He will hear you. Uh, but even in its worst, you know, valleys, life is still a gift. Life is a blessing. Dear friends, don't give up hope. Turn to Christ. And if you need some help, you know, there's, you know, call the Billy Graham ministry. Seriously, go on their website, billygram.org. Uh, there are a myriad of ways to get some feedback because sooner or later we all need a little sounding board. And, um, Bill, don't you think we get more and more depressed if if the only voices we're listening to are the ones in our own head? Amen. So to anybody who might be listening and you're feeling a little overwhelmed, um, reach out, go to church, or find a good church service. I would say a good way to keep on the the path of truth is listen to faith radio. You're seeing all the right things today, Alex. Well... Hey, you know, we're in this together. Hey, can I, can I have 15 seconds? i got to tell you a story. we got 30 left. Okay. So I go to the store two days ago. I'm walking back to my car, and there's a car with a hood up and a black gentleman over the engine. But he's helping two elderly white ladies get the car started. Mm. So I open my hood. We help jump the battery. And he looked at me. That He said, hey, we're all God's children. We've got to love each other and help each other. Boy. I said, you got that right, man.
0: Amen. Dr. Alex McFarlane has been my guest. Alex, talk to you next time. Hey, thanks, Bill. God All bless right. you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Thanks again to Dr. Alex McFarland for coming on. His new book looks real interesting. I'll dig into that this weekend. I'm also going to be joined in this hour by uh, George Barna. You know George Barna as uh, the great George Barna and the founder and leader of the Barna Group, which he, by the way, sold in 2009. But he is uh, also now a professor at Arizona Christian University and leads the Cultural Research Center based at the university. And he is uh, one of my most interesting guests. I think he's on the line. George, are you there?
2: I'm here.
0: Yeah, George, nice to hear your voice again. Thanks for coming on.
2: Good to be back with you. But you're putting the pressure on me. One of your most interesting guests. Who you are really, you, you really are.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, the bar is pretty high around here, and you're uh, you're right there in the, that top tier, just so you know.
2: Well, that's kind.
0: Yeah. And I like you, and you're funny. And, I mean, that all makes for all good radio.
2: Well, yeah got to pass the time well.
0: <laughs> so are you doing okay with uh, everything that's going on in the world right now?
2: You know, it's crazy living in California. It's, it's you know crazy living in a lot of places, but there's a lot of ridiculous uh, things that are being done these days, Yeah. and uh, boy, I tell you, it's hard to find the truth in the midst of all this. So th- th- there's no better time to be a follower of Christ and to be someone who has and knows and loves the Bible than, it, than today, I'll tell
0: you that. Yeah, that's so well said. So many more Americans right now are starting to see uh, uh, they're rejecting moral absolutes. I mean, the, the statistics are staggering. That I think it was 90, 93% say they believe in God, and 73% say there's no moral absolutes.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the current numbers, we, we've we got a lot fewer people than that actually believing in the God of the Scriptures. I mean, we're about half the nation. Mm-hmm. I, I think currently it's at about 51%. And when we talk with people about the nature of truth, there are a lot of things we can talk about there. But, you know, one of those is whether or not they believe there is such a thing as absolute moral truth, truth that isn't dependent upon the individual and his or her circumstances or feelings, And what we find is that about 6 out of 10 Americans currently say there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. Most people would say that the basis of truth is not God. 6 out of 10 people will identify other factors, and then when you talk with them about things like right and wrong, 3 out of 4 of them will identify places or feelings or experiences other than the Bible that they would say really are the source of understanding right from wrong. So we, we've we really completely redefined how it is that we go about making decisions these days, because it used to be that there would be a core of standard truth principles that we would all rely on. And that's one of the things that made our country great, mm-hmm. was that we had a common foundation based on a truth that we all agreed upon. And in point of fact, that's not just the Bible saying that's the way it should be. Our Constitution for the country was written that way. But now that we've thrown that out, that's why we find ourselves in such chaos and moral anarchy today, is that we no longer have that common understanding.
0: Mm-hmm. George, why is secularism, why is it, does it have such a strong pull on younger people, like under 30?
2: Well, I think there are a number of reasons. One of those is that when we study how people's worldview develops, What we find is that a person's worldview is almost fully developed by the age of 13, and then it gets reshaped a little bit during the teens and 20s. But by and large, most people die believing what they believed at age 13. So we go back and we look at how does that get shaped. And what we're finding is that in America today, parents do not believe that it's their responsibility. To be shaping the worldview, the morals, the values, the decision-making process of their children, what they want to do more so is hire professionals to do the job for them. But the problem is that that means that the media and the government and the schools and other people who do not have an interest in helping children to explore the love, the truth, the majesty of God, those are the ones who are shaping the worldview of our children. So secularism, which basically is about selfishness, it's about happiness, it's about uh, the total anarchic freedom, I mean, that's what's being delivered to our children, and that's why we have the mess we're in.
0: Mm-hmm. So where are Americans, where where are they looking to find truth?
2: Well, they're looking inward, which is problem number one. Oh, boy, is it ever. Yeah, I mean, when you think that we are the arbiters of truth and righteousness and morality, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got problems. So that's one place. And then the second place a lot of people are saying they turn to is science. And then a third thing they turn to is, you, know, you might describe it as public opinion. What do other people think? And none of those, of course, contain truth. The truth was, was made by God, but people aren't looking there.
0: Mm-hmm. Is environment in there somewhere, too?
2: yeah I mean that 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 kind of confounds a lot of people thinking that you know this thing that we call Mother Nature is something that will dictate truth to us, will display that truth to us, not recognizing well, there is no such thing as Mother Nature. we do have Father God, and he created nature, and yes, we can see his glory, we can see many of his truths and his ways of life embedded within that creation. But again, we have to go back and understand what is the actual source of that.
0: Mm -hmm. George, when we look at some of these stats, and six out of every ten adults agree that identifying moral truth is up to each individual, we're going to have problems, aren't we?
2: Well, for sure. And I think one of the questions that we can raise is, so wait a minute, what's the response of the organized church? What's the response of the community of believers? why aren't we seeing and hearing and being challenged by that? This is the time when the church needs to be the church to help people realize that a lot of the malarkey that we've learned in school or that we watch in movies or television, that we're hearing in music, that we're experiencing through video games, all this other stuff that's teaching us how to think and live, it's wrong. And the only way we're going to know that it's wrong is when the people who have the truth are so consistent and so upfront and so energetic about serving or or providing that truth sharing that truth with with the rest of the world that people have to sit back and think yeah that's interesting i didn't think about that and so then they've got an option to be exploring and we have the opportunity through our relationships with them and through the way that we're living our lives to to show them yeah this is why we believe it this is how it works it's not from us, it's from
0: God. Mm -hmm. So, George, if there's an increasingly large number of people who are defining their life purpose apart from God, there's going to be no surprise that there's going to be a huge shift in the way Americans are going to live their life.
2: Well, sure, you know, and and Bill comes back to this whole thing about worldview. If you've got a secular humanist worldview, you've got a Marxist worldview, you've got a postmodern worldview. Those are the most popular worldviews in America today. But one of the things that they all have in common is selfishness. And so when we start thinking from a selfish point of view about, what is the purpose of life? Why am I on earth? And our conclusion is, it's for me to feel happy well, that changes the whole game in terms of how we treat other people, how we think about our occupation or vocation, how we think about spirituality. Everything changes when selfishness is at the heart of everything.
0: Selfishness, that's a big word. That's, uh, that's part of the big problem. Uh, certainly, when you uh, look at the problems in this world, they all kind of start from within, don't they, George?
2: Well, yeah, because, you know, the the theory behind selfishness is that I'm really the one who's in charge of my life. I'm responsible for dictating what's right or wrong or best for me. And if it's best for me, it'll work out for other people, too, without realizing that, well, you know, Jesus lived a completely different kind of life there. He didn't look at the cross and say, you know, I don't think that's best for me. I think what's best for me is that y'all give me that crown and make me the king. (laughs) You know, he had a whole different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to go back to basics, back to foundations. It's One of the things that's challenging our country today is that we're losing our foundations of what made this country great. We're trying to replace it with stuff that's been tried in literally several hundred other countries of the world over the last few centuries, and it's never worked.
0: Mm-hmm. George, when you were thinking about how you wanted to live your life, didn't you kind of look at the generation or two before you, like your grandparents and your parents, and then you listened to mentors and, uh, and other kind of uh, people who were uh, engaging in your life with you?
2: I did, but, you know, while I was in grad school—I didn't become a Christian until I was in grad school. Okay. And it, and it was at that point that I had a bunch of actually Marxist professors— who were instructing us that nothing is true unless you can tear it apart and put it back together again. And so I started thinking about a lot of the experiences that I'd had in my life, a lot of the philosophies that I'd been exposed to and taught, and started doing just that, tearing them apart and figuring out, where does this lead? What ultimately is it all about? And realized they were all vacuous. And so it wasn't until a friend of mine invited me to attend the church— And at that church, I saw the pastor doing something I hadn't seen before, where he took the Bible out, he read a passage, and then he explained what it meant, and he kept repeating that pattern, read the passage, explain it, read the passage, explain it. And I left that first experience of watching and hearing somebody do that intelligently, thinking, wow, now this could be life-changing. What I've got to do now is figure out, is that book that he's reading from trustworthy?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Georgia, are there certain segments of the population that are, are denying moral, absolute moral truths more than others?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of different ways that we look at that. We slice and dice all the data by uh, anywhere from 60 to 80 different subgroups of the population. And so consistently what we find, for instance, are that people under the age of 30 are most likely to deny the existence of God. Those who believe that there may be a higher power are least likely to believe that the God of of Scripture is that higher power. They're the least likely to believe in absolute moral truth. They're the least likely to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's true and that it's authentic, that it's reliable and so forth. So yeah, consistently we find that, that young adults are one of those groups. The second group that we consistently find rejecting these kinds of Of uh, principles, are people who are politically liberal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, their whole perspective is shaped around humanity rather than around God. So those would be the two that I think jump out as being the groups that are most likely to reject many of the things that the Christian Church would say are pillars of living uh, a meaningful and purposeful life.
0: Mm -hmm. George Barna is my guest. You can go to georgebarna.com. We'll take a little break, probably have time for a question. If anyone wanted to text me a question, I can ask uh, George on your behalf. You can remain anonymous if you like. You can send it over to 877-933-2484.
1: So you're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold that we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says
2: this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word SURVEY to
1: 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com SURVEY.
0: George Barna. He's my guest. Head over to georgebarna.com. He's got a lot of great stuff over there. So, George, when uh, you wrote on the perceptions of the value of human life, and as uh, you say, as the biblical foundations are are continuing to erode, that we are having a a fundamental shift on uh, human beings. We're saying we're basically good, and and less than 40% seeing human life as having intrinsic value or being sacred. That's pretty shocking.
2: Well, it really is. I think it's indicative of a lot of what we see happening in the streets in America today, where if you think people are basically good, well, then you don't need police. If you don't value human life, then you don't worry about uh, a lot of the violence and, and the rioting that's taking place. When you think that life is all about you and your happiness, then looting stores isn't as big an issue. I mean, you know, it, it all kind of ties together in, in in a strange way. And, and when you look at people's worldview in America today, you can understand why we're in the trouble we're in. I would say that, you know, the United States today has a profound spiritual deficiency And that spiritual deficiency is producing a worldview crisis, and that worldview crisis is what's responsible for America's cultural demise. Mm -hmm. They're all tied together.
0: When a survey says 7 out of 10 adults believe that people are basically good, as a Christian, how do you respond to that?
2: Well, if people are basically good, we didn't need Jesus to die on the cross. We don't need to confess our sins. You know, basically, at that point, we don't even need God because if we're so good, we can make great choices, everything is going to go superbly. Mm -hmm. But I think all you have to do is look around us and realize, no, you know, each one of us, while we may have good intentions, while we may be trying really hard, we do sin. We do these things that offend God, and because God gave us the truth principles, the moral principles of what's right and wrong when we break those things, when we act against them, it's not in our best interest, it's against our best interests. And that, in turn, means that, you know, we really are inherently not good people. Mm-hmm. That's why he sent Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not buying it. I know most people in our culture do, but I, I'm, I'm going to wait.
0: Yeah. So, I think slightly over half of Americans believe that human beings are created by God and made in his image. So, if that's if that's where... population is, I can understand how they feel the way they feel.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of this goes back to the spiritual development of Americans. What we've discovered through our research is that most churches are not intentionally and strategically working to develop a cohesive worldview in the minds and hearts of the people that they get to teach and to work with. What they're doing, essentially, is is trying to succeed as an organization. And so, yes, they may preach, they may have classes, they may have the service programs. All those things are great, and we need them. But we also need to be thinking about, but why are we teaching? What's the purpose of this? It's not just to transmit information, it's to allow God to transform our minds and our hearts. That's what you know, Romans 12 begins talking about, you know, particularly Romans 12 too, about the renewing of our minds so that, we be, so that we can become a new creation in Christ. And that's not just about having more information than the next person. It's about having the right information that changes, transforms the way that we think and we live so that we can become
0: more Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Back in May, you wrote a, an article at georgebarna.com that said, God is absent from most people's views of purpose and success. And I'm starting to hear that more and more when people talk about their life and their purpose and their success. If they don't mention God in any in any way, shape, or form, they're, they're pretty full of themselves and their own ambitions.
2: Yeah, you know, and again, it, it can be deceptive because we found that almost nine out of ten Americans believe that there is a common or shared universal purpose for living. But then, you know, I mean, that can get you excited. But then when you ask them, great, what is that? That's where it broke down, because we found that only three out of ten, a little less than that, said that that shared universal purpose for living is to know, love, and serve God. People are saying that the real purpose for living are things like uh, experiencing happiness or fulfillment, reaching your full potential, advancing human development, living a long and healthy life. Those were some of the most common answers that we were receiving. And then when we talk with them about the nature of success in life, again, you see that, yeah, they, they understand it's possible to live a successful life, but they don't lock that definition of success into knowing, loving, and serving God. We found that uh, only about one out of five Americans said that consistent obedience to God is what success in life is. Mm. Most people said it's about being healthy or productive or safe or being a good person or being happy or free. All of those things came up more often than, you know, being a, a consistently obedient person to God.
0: And I see that every once in a while, George, when I'll read an obituary and you'll see a, a longer one and I'll read it and they'll talk about the fact they lived a, a productive and and safe life and they had all this success and, you know, you get to the end and there's not a mention of of uh, obedience to Christ or um, anything that says my life has been defined by my my call to follow Jesus. Now, many are, which are great, but I often read lots of obituaries that makes me very sad for the people
2: well you know in these days I hope that that a lot of individuals if they even read those they would read them and say what's missing here
0: yes exactly
2: God gave us this incredible opportunity to to be in this great place to know him to love him to serve him you know what did we do with that opera we have that and we have it abundantly But it's really about opportunity to be Christ-like to other people and to advance the kingdom of God, not our personal kingdom. Uh, You know, I'm hoping that if people read an obituary and they don't see something in there about he loved Jesus as his Savior, he knew God personally, he lived his life for the Lord, that person really missed out. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Americans are, seems like more than ever, redefining and rejecting God.
2: Yeah, sadly, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of it is because they think they have better options. That's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. You, you've got the, the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, just, loving, holy, forgiving creator of the universe who wants to be in relationship with you, who wants you to have the best of what he's got to offer. He even gave you a guidebook on how to do that, and yet people think, but wait a minute, I think there's a better option. And then you you look at these options, and it's, I mean, it's really heartbreaking to look at what people think is a better option than taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to live life with Him.
0: Mm-hmm. So... The last hour i was or uh, in the last half hour I was talking to alex mcfarlane i don 't know if you know Alex or not Yeah. oh sure. yeah, good guy, yeah. but uh, we're talking we were talking about just uh, as America needs to be uh, we need to stand up and fight for it and i I know that you uh you do that quite well, george you're always stepping up and fighting for uh, this country and and the people in it
2: well that's kind of you to say you know i've got three grandchildren now. And, uh, you know, I look at them and I think, wow, when, when I'm dead, they're going to be living in the country that I helped to create. And I want them to be able to say, you know what, not only is it a great country, but my granddad had something to do with that. Yeah. He always did the most that he could to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, to promote the cause of Christ, because that's what made this country great. That's what's going to keep this country great. And even though it wasn't easy, he devoted himself to that. Now, if if they see that, and it's not about me. I want them to get the values that I want to be available to them for their lives. If they embrace those, if they embrace God's truths, it's been a good ride.
0: Mm-hmm. Any one of the grandkids cuter than the others?
2: <laughs> I'll never say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know you won't. So have you been able to see them and spend any time with them during the COVID?
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. They live about a quarter mile down the road from us. So uh, we see them probably four days a week, and uh, we just have a blast. Well, you're
0: you're making a lot of grandparents jealous right now, George, just so you know.
2: Well, it may not always be that way. You know, it's a very mobile country. People move very frequently. And so I know someday that may happen as well. So we're trying to take advantage of the opportunity
0: while we can. So appreciate when you say yes to coming on the show, George. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I always love being with
0: you. Yeah, I so appreciate it. George Barna has been my guest. If you want to go to georgebarna.com, you can go check out uh, George's work and his uh, writing. He's got a blog, and it's most excellent. So head over to georgebarna.com. Com. That wraps up uh, this hour. We've got a great hour coming up next. I'm excited that um, that we're at the end of the week and we've got uh, so much to be thankful for. I hope you're looking forward to the weekend, maybe a little relaxation and a little chance to maybe get the project done or two and also worship the King and uh, spend time with the Lord. So we'll take a little break. We'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute.